Hi, everyone. My name's Michael. What an honor to be here with you today. Um, and following up that great time of worship, can we thank the worship team for their ministry this morning? Thank you. So here I am, standing at Randall Baptist Church, the Randall Baptist Church. And I got to tell you, it really is a privilege. This church has an incredibly rich and important uh, legacy, if you will, to the work of God in this area. And to be here, to be a part of what you're doing, it really is a privilege. A privilege. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. So I am a native Buffalonian. I was born and raised here. I was actually born at Children's Hospital, the old Children's Hospital inside the city of Buffalo. Uh, my parents took me home to a home on the west side of Buffalo. Then I moved to South Buffalo, where I spent pretty much my entire school career, went to city schools my entire life. Uh, grew up Baptist. My parents accepted Christ at a street meeting uh, from a Baptist church. And so we went to a Baptist church. The first couple years of my life, I went to a Baptist school. Uh, and then uh, we went to First Baptist of West Seneca for a good bit of time. And then uh, we went to um, Casanova Park Baptist Church. And then I went to Bible College and decided to plant a church. And when I did, I decided to go non-denominational. Now, that's nothing against the Baptist church. The, I'm Baptist to my core. I'm rooted there. Uh, that's my theology. Uh, but when deciding to plant the church, I kind of wanted to remove every obstacle that an unbeliever might have to the gospel. And so I thought, man, sometimes those Baptists, the reputation of the Baptists, isn't always great in the outside and unbelieving community. But that was also true for all the other denominations too, right? So there's all, you, somebody knows someone somewhere who did them wrong. And so I figured, you know what, let's just go non-denominational. But holding true to those, uh, uh, to those core theology and theological beliefs, I did that for a long stretch. Uh, planted in 2002, and I actually just resigned from Centerpoint uh, this past Easter. And it was a beautiful, a beautiful stretch of time and great work of God in that community. Um, having been there for such a long time, you get to a point when you realize that um, it's time to step aside and let a new set of eyes see the vision, a new, a new perspective on ministry. I also kind of discovered that, that I am a church planter. I love initiating, I love starting, I love uh, getting things, go there's an entrepreneurial bent in me and when we got to this point after 17 years, I realized that, that it was no longer a church planner's church, it was now more of a, a managerial type church and I felt it was time to step aside. And so uh, um, Milo has been gracious to allow me to keep living in that preaching gift. And so I, I said, if I can be of service, and he said, you know, this would be a great Sunday for me to come in. So thank you guys for bearing with me in the middle of this series that you're doing throughout the book of Romans. This more than series in the chapter 8 right now. And um, I was assigned Romans chapter 8, 26 through 30. Friends, this is a deep and powerful uh, theologically rich book that we're going through, uh, written by the biggest contributor to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And this particular passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 30, and you can go ahead and go to there uh, now, covers the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the practice of prayer, the purpose of God, the theology of predestination, and the nature of salvation. And they said you got about 30, 35 minutes to cover that. <laughs> Friends, I am not going to give any of those topics justice. I'm not going to be able to address them fully. In fact, 
all of chapter 8, and certainly Romans possesses a complicated layering of ideas, if you will. Parenthetical insertions and and deep theology packed in and open-ended ideas that must make sense somehow. It just takes careful thought for us to get there. And I know that I'm jumping into the middle of a party that you guys have been throwing for a while. And so I'm sure I'm not going to follow the exact pattern that you've had in the past. And and I might not make the same theological emphases that you're used to. But I promise you, I will be faithful to the text. And I'm going to use conservative exegetical principles as we walk through this beautiful and powerful passage of Scripture. And I hope to encourage you in the hope that we have in faith as it pertains to to this passage. So Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, the whole emphasis of this passage is the Spirit, our life in the Spirit. And so if you look at chapter 7, it is sin and it is darkness, it is the weight of it all. And then in chapter 8, we are more than conquerors, right? And we're conquering through the Spirit. And so this, this passage, this chapter, is the Spirit's role in our salvation and sanctification. And as the title of this series might suggest, we are more than. We are more than our unbelief. We are more than our wandering, more than our fear, more than our groaning, more than our weaknesses, because the Spirit of God is at work in us and through us. I I love this idea of more than. And I really want us to connect with that concept, if you could. So I want to remind you of a story that I think you're all aware of. It was February 5th, 6.30 p.m. I remember exactly where I was, and you probably do too. Super Bowl 51. Atlanta Hawks versus the New England Patriots. It was one of the best halves of football I've ever seen. I'm sorry, yeah, I said the Hawks, right? Yeah. The Hawks were crushing. It was 21 to 3 at the end of halftime. At the end of halftime, all of Western New York felt fantastic. Of course, all of Atlanta, I believe most of the country felt really, really good about this particular football game. The Hawks had a great offense, great passing, great special team, great defense, great results, and they were winning. Then the fourth quarter happened. A field goal and two touchdowns tied the game, and we went into overtime. And then you you guys know what happened. What we witnessed was that New England was more than the Atlanta Hawks. They were more than the defense, more than the Atlanta offense, more than the Atlanta special teams, more than the Atlanta passing, more than their scoring. Ultimately, they were more than. Those who were called Patriots were more than the Hawks. And if you're like me, you hate this illustration because it highlights the Patriots. But it also highlights this point that those who are in Christ, we are more than conquerors. And so it might look like the other side is going to win. It might look like the other side has the advantage. It looks like the other side is being more uh, effective, that the other side is overcoming our best efforts at every turn. The other side is outscoring and outplaying and outrunning, but the game isn't over yet. And the promise is, and the narrative that we have in chapter 8, emphasizes that we are more than all of the opposition in the world. And so we don't know how our game is going to end. Uh, We do know that in the Super Bowl, both teams expected to win. They trained to win, and they were working for the win. 
But until the game was over, no one knew the outcome. Similarly, we haven't reached the end of our game yet. But we're promised something that we haven't experienced it yet. And so we struggle forward with every expectation, not because of us, but because of him who called us. And we play tirelessly, believing that we are more than our unbelief. We are more than our wandering and more than our fear and our groaning and our weaknesses. We are more than conquerors. And, and, friends, we don't play alone. Verse 26 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The tense of this word, weakness, leads us to believe that it is not uh, a temporary weakness, but an ongoing weakness, the sense that we are weak, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit helps us. Now, this word help is, is a Greek word. It means it carries with it the idea to, to lift a heavy load. Like, you're just not strong enough to carry this. You can try, you can strain, you can lean into it. You're not going to be able to lift it. So the Holy Spirit comes along and helps us lift it. And why does the Holy Spirit need to help us do anything? Because we're weak. We're weak in the face of challenges, weak in the face of struggles, weak in our pursuit of holiness. We're weak when it comes to patience. We're weak in the face of our struggle and the burdens that we carry for other people. Tragedies of cancer and senseless tragedy, like drunk driving accidents or, or the death of innocent bystanders. These things, friends, they, they hurt us. They wear us down. They create suffering for us. And our heart, our heart aches not only for ourselves, but for other people. And when we're weak, and when we suffer, and when we groan, we harmonize with the symphony of brokenness in our fallen world. And it creates a situation, back to the text, where we do not know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever been in a situation that was so overwhelming that you literally did not know what to do? I have. A situation so complex with so many moving parts, with so many considerations and perspectives and uncertainties and unknowns that you literally did not know what the right choice was. You're just like, someone tell me what to do and I'll do it. But I, I, this is just too much. And so when we get to that point in our suffering on earth and our weakness... The scripture says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You see, the Spirit is, is present with us, agonizing with us, God with us, the Holy Spirit interceding and groaning. Now please note from the context of this passage, Creation is groaning a few verses prior. We're groaning a few verses before this. And now it says the Holy Spirit groans in this fallen world. God is acquainted in our suffering. He understands the limitations of our weaknesses. He knows that we're puny and we can't lift it. And we know this because Jesus walked among us. And the Trinity is this mysterious singularity. And, and Jesus knew what it was like to see a loved one die on the person of Lazarus. And Jesus knew what it would look like to see human suffering and agony at the pool of Bethesda where he walked through and he healed only one person and left everyone else in their brokenness. 
Jesus knows the ingratitude of the healed lepers. He knows, he knows for fans that were calling for a king to turn into an angry mob when, they didn't, when he refused their demands. He knows the frustrations of disciples who didn't get it and religious counterfeits turning the holy temple of God into a den of thieves. And so when you're in agony and you're frustrated and you're frozen in frustration and disbelief and you get all, all tongue-tied in your soul, the Holy Spirit says, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what you're going through. And we're like, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to pray for, I don't know. And Jesus, and the Holy Spirit says, listen, listen, I'll take it to the Father for you. And the Holy Spirit groans for us before the Father. Back to the text. And he, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Who knows the mind of the Spirit? God the Father. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now, what's the one prayer that is always going to be answered? Yes. It's the prayer that is the will of God. I remember when I was a kid and I'd be praying, I read that scripture that says, you know, ask and you'll receive. Just whatever you ask in my name, God is going to give it to you. And I was like, whatever I ask, God, where's that Lambo? Could I please have that Lamborghini? Could I please have that mansion in L.A.? Right? So we just pray for these things because they're our will. And God's like, hmm. And it doesn't get answered. You see, the Holy Spirit says, I hear what you're saying, but God isn't going to answer that one. So let me, let, me, let me take that to the Father in a way that will more represent the will of the Father. It's kind of like a little kid asking the mom for candy for dinner. You know, like, what do you want for, what do you want for dinner? You know, candy, not going to happen, right? Or maybe the teenager asking for that super hot sports car. Son, it's, you know, we're going to get you a car. Well, could I have the Trans Am, please? Actually, that actually happened. A friend of mine had another friend, and uh, he, he begged his dad for the Trans Am. And dad was finally like, all right, you can have the Trans Am. I'll never forget. He pulled up on our street, and it was black with chrome rims. It was polished out. It was slick. When you, you, you it was like old school Trans Am. When you hit the, and it, vroom, vroom, it was, it was hot car. It lasted about two months before it got wrecked and totaled. Right? Yeah. So, so sometimes the father is wise not giving us exactly what we're asking for. He was, he was the envy of the neighborhood for like two months. And then we're like, you idiot. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit intercedes. When we don't know what to ask for because we are weak, we are so weak. And when we're at our broken point, the Holy Spirit groans with us or maybe because of us and intercedes for us. And then we have this, this powerful promise when we submit ourselves to this relationship. And it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And it's not just some things, not, not just the spiritual things, not just, not, not, it doesn't, everything but relational. There's not that exclusion. It's not, it's not like everything but your financial life. Listen, there's a, there's, a re, there's a recreational exclusion in this passage, so all things but not including your recreational life. All things, people, means all things. And God is at work for the good, not the average, not the mediocre, but for the good. 
And this word here, this idea of working together is a Greek word, which means synergy. Synergy, which is the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other angels, agents, <laughs> angels, to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. So you might say, we ask for the wrong thing, the Spirit translates the right thing, and God coordinates the best thing. So I don't know what you walked in here today carrying. And maybe you've tried to figure it all out. You've tried to pray it through or get the right people in on the solution. Or maybe it's something in the rearview mirror and you're carrying a financial burden or something from a failed relationship or lost, lost a very dear relationship because of a misunderstanding. And you're thinking that it is over, that there is less than hope. Friends, even that situation or scar can be brought to a solution characterized by an infinite good because God has woven into it and crafted it into a masterpiece. A couple years ago, someone I know was changing a tire on a truck on the side of the road. And um, he was underneath the truck and he was on the side of the road. Um, it was a country road and so it was gravelly and, and grassy. And he set up the, uh, the jack, and he's working underneath the vehicle to release the tire, release the spare tire. And the vehicle slipped off the jack and crushed his head between uh, the spare tire and, and the bottom of the chassis. And he was trapped there until someone could come to lift up the vehicle and get him out. And he, we got him out, but then we we're waiting there. He was completely immobilized. His ear was crushed. His jaw was crushed. Mercy flight was called in, and as mercy flight was called in, they stopped all the traffic around. What a terrible thing to happen to a guy just on his way home from picking blueberries. The police stopped all the traffic that was uh, coming through, and uh, police have these scanners, and so this, this, this cruiser had its scanner on, and they, they discovered a vehicle whose registration was not current, and so they go over to that vehicle uh, just to write a ticket or to check in on them and, you know, you know, uphold the law. And they discover that this woman that was driving was either drunk or high, completely out of her mind and shouldn't have been driving. And she had a child that was unrestra unrestrained in the vehicle. And so they were able to arrest the lady and, um, and protect the child. And miraculously, the guy who had the, dropped the, the truck on his head, he's fine today. And so we look back at that situation and we're like, what in the world was that about? Like, why would that happen? And, and you look at this child and we look at this, this, this irresponsible mother and we say, what could have happened in one mile from that spot had she not been stopped? What could have happened in one year had that situation not been interceded upon? And we don't know what God is up to weaving together this, this supernatural goodness. And maybe you know of a story like that where tragedy was averted because of some small thing that happened to you. Friend, this is the hand of God according to the promise of God, and he will be faithful to complete it. Now, how can we have confidence that this is so? Back to the text, and it says for, which, which means because, which is specifically connected to this concept of all things working together or synergy. 
And this is where we can get the confidence in the ability and the credibility of the claim that all things will indeed work together for good. Now, we're not going to see this uh, until, the, until the finale of this verse, but keep in mind uh, as we take the short journey through this next verse. This is a big verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many believers, among many brothers, rather. Now, this idea is connected to the all things working together for good or the synergy of goodness. Now, what we often do is we pull it out of context and we say, this applies to salvation, specifically the nature of salvation, whether or not it is primarily a function of predestination or free will. Friends, we will never know for sure. But what we do know is that the tension is good and that there are good people on both sides of that argument. And I believe that both sides will be well represented in heaven. But what we can see is that this statement begins with the divine foreknowledge. And there is no controversy in this. We all believe that God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. And so he sees time not in this linear fashion, but a finished picture. And so he sees all of eternity like a picture sitting on top of the fireplace. And he can just see what's going on. And so he is well aware of those people who will be the recipients of his grace. And so, knowing every decision that we would ever make, he designated those that, uh, um, who would put our faith in Christ to be conformed to the image of his son. Not for our sake, not because we had so much potential, rather conformity to Christ is so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, Jesus is at the center of the redemption story. Jesus is the firstborn. And we are saved so that Jesus can be the firstborn among many brothers. And please note that the, the purpose here is for many brothers and sisters. So this is not exclusionary. It is inclusionary. All right. Let's keep rolling. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And so this is how we can have confidence and know that it all works together for good because God is infinite. God is all-knowing. God has reached out to you and to me, and he's not left us alone. God is forming you into the likeness of Jesus, and God is removing all of the obstacles so that you and I will be glorified. You see, God's end game is that we might be glorified with him forever in eternity. And when you put it in perspective, so, so then this, this momentary, this temporary, this weakness, this struggle, this hardship, this brokenness, this, this groaning, it's going to flow down river. And God will make sure that there's glory on the other side. The groaning of the whole world, the groaning of the spirits within our chest, the groaning of even the Spirit of God is going somewhere. And it's going to the glory of God. A few years back, I ran a half marathon, and I had uh, I'd studied a little bit, looked up online, like, you know, couch to 5K, couch to marathon, all that stuff. I checked it out, consulted, and then I did something really important, really critical. I trained, and uh, I, I would run. As a matter of fact, Randall figures prominently into that. I ran from my house 
to here, back to my home, 11 miles, about when I finally made it to this spot and then ran back. I put my water bottle in the, the covered picnic shelter out there so I have something. And so I got, I, you know, the day of the race came and I didn't know the conditions ahead of time, but I did my best to prepare and, and, and I ran and, 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 I, and I went to run and I had a ton of optimism. And then in the middle of this race, something went wrong. Mile five, something began to feel a little, a little funky. I had this weird sting in my side. And my wife was on the side with our kids holding up a sign, you can do it. And I'm like, there's something wrong, babe. There's something wrong. I'll have my hand right here, and I'm running. By mile seven, it was excruciating, stabbing pain that had gone from radiating here all the way down to the side of my leg and up to my, my shoulder. And I'm groaning, and I didn't, know, I didn't know what to ask for. I didn't know the solution. I didn't know, I didn't know how to make it stop. But I knew one thing. I knew that I, I wouldn't quit. And so I persevered. I ran through the pain. And at the end of the longest race I had ever run, and I know some of you probably run double that, and there's crazy people who run 50 miles and even crazier people who run 100 miles. But at the end of the longest race that I had ever run, they gave me this medal. And then there was banners and there, there was cheering and there was music and there was food and there was celebration. And that medal and that moment and then crossing that line, that, that was my glory. Now, friends, you've got a race to run. And on your race, you're going to face injury and struggle and pain. And there's going to be obstacles to overcome. And you will be groaning and there will be groaning. Well, that's just the nature of the race, isn't it? It's the nature of any race. But your groaning leads to glory. Now, what happens if, if I were to walk off the, off the course at mile seven? Like, that's it. I'm not doing this. This is stupid. I'd forfeit the medal, right? I'd, I'd forfeit that, that, that celebration at the end. I'd walk. I could go to the celebration spot, but I would know that this is not my celebration. This is a celebration for the people who have finished the race. The goodness that was intended for the end of the race would not be for me. And so when we walk off the track before we cross the finish line, we miss out on the party. We, we miss out on the glory that God intends. Friends, God has called the church to be the church. And God has called the people of God to expand the kingdom of God. We call that evangelism. And the result of evangelism is planted churches. And we might be tempted to think like, oh, that's just too hard. And we have a church. Let's just fill this church. Let's not worry about planting another church. It's too much of a sacrifice. We already did that once. It's too much of a struggle. Hey, run your race. Run your race. Face your obstacles. Fully engage in the hardships of your calling and this church's calling. And you might say, oh, it costs too much. Or, or it's easier just to worry about this context and the survival of this ministry. Hey, run your race. All things, the all things of church planting count in the synergy of God's goodness. And I imagine that these present church planting, kingdom expanding, God glorifying sufferings won't even compare 
And so we jump headlong into the fray and we keep moving forward because when you do and when we do, there is glory. As we cross this finish line of faith, I imagine that there will be crowds of people and there will be banners and saying, you did it, you made it. And there will be music and there will be feasting. The scripture says that those he, he called, he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. It's as if it already happened. And God had in mind for us that glory and he will give it because we are more than conquerors. And maybe you're here and you've been facing struggle for a while now. And maybe you feel like friends have forsaken you or your boyfriend is doing you wrong or your girlfriend you suspect is cheating. You had a professor that absolutely crushed you this past semester. Or your spouse has stopped seeing you. Or your best friend is fighting cancer. Or a loved one has left this world far too soon. And you're like, God, what's up with that? Hey, keep running your race. Keep running your race. Keep persevering. Our hardship is not in vain because God is weaving something together and all these things will work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And there is glory at the end of this race and he causes all of it to work together for good. Amen. If our ushers would come forward this morning. If Mike said something today that resonated with you, finishing the race, being well aware of God working through our weaknesses, if you would take that connection card in front of you, respond in that way. There's a way that we uh, interact as a staff with, with many of you as a church, asking for prayer, asking for really what you're struggling with. It is our opportunity to be able to pray for you, to encourage you in that. Michael, I literally have run a half marathon and gotten to the end of the race, and they were out of t-shirts, and so they gave me a full marathon t-shirt. <laughs> I'm carrying around a trophy that I don't deserve. This morning, if that's you, if you understand that really at the end of the day, you're kind of faking it, I pray that this morning would be a wake-up call to you. That it is through your weakness that God is trying to work in you. It is through your weakness that he is trying to be glorified and will be ultimately glorified. Do you understand that, church? So this morning, we pray that you would have the guts to respond to what God is sharing with you. For some of you, it's to respond by giving. This is a time of offering, and, and some of you have, have been faking it for a while. And so we encourage you to step up to the plate in that way as well. So dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Brother Michael, his, his uh, passion uh, this morning for your word, for planting a church. Lord, uh, thank you for his willingness to be faithful for all these years. We thank you for Reverend Copeland being faithful for all these years as well. Uh, 40 years, Lord, to be serving you. So we celebrate that here as well. But Lord, it is in our weakness that you make us strong. It is in our weakness that you are glorified. So this morning, there's some groaning in the room. And Lord, as we groan, Lord, we trust that your spirit groans on our behalf 
and, and speaks words, Lord, that really, really, really tickle the ears of the Father. So we thank you for that this morning. We trust that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cut deep this morning. We trust you in that. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.